G'day everyone, welcome to Porsche Talk Podcast. I'm Mark from the YouTube channel, Mark and Cars. And I'm your co-host, Ajmal, from the YouTube channel, Flat Cap Driver. Each week, we'll be talking about our world, our favourite thing, Porsche cars and lifestyle. We will try to get the occasional guests in to try and give this show some Porsche credibility. So strap in, enjoy the show, and if you've got any thoughts, inspiration, anything at all, send it through to us, and thank you for listening. Now, Ajmal, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. It's been a weird week, uh, but I'm glad it's Friday. Always it is Friday. Thing. The sun's shining. It's kind of sub-zero temperatures outside, but that doesn't matter. Although I couldn't get into my car this morning because all the doors were frozen shut. Can I, I, I'm not going to. I'm not lying to you here. Before this podcast started, just so everyone understands, it's 10 p.m. at night here in Perth, Western Australia. I went outside to have a cold shower because of how hot I am. <laughs> <laughs> well, the problem I've got is that I went to my car, it's my 996, press the key thing, I realise it doesn't work, Hasn't. it's been a bit intermittent for a couple of days, so I hit it with the key, went to open it with the door handle, the window came down, came up a bit, and the alarm went off, and I couldn't turn it off, so I just walked away. 996 problems. I know someone that knows about 996 problems, you so let's what? welcome that our guest. Thinking, I might know somebody who's got a 996. <laughs> G'day, Lee Sibley from Nine Works Radio. How are you? <laughs> Mark, Ajmal, yeah, I'm very well, thank you. Thank you so much, gents, for letting us come on. I'm really looking forward to the chat here. Yeah, thank good one. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, it's <laughs> like a, well, I feel like we're dealing with Porsche royalty. It's, you've given our <laughs> show way too much credibility, honestly. Oof, you're, you're bigging me up before the big cut down later on in the episode. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> With interest, with interest. <laughs> like, do you know what, well, Mark? You and I had a chat, I think it was around a year ago. It was. Um, on, on your podcast, yeah. And do you know, I really enjoyed it as, as a kind of a Porsche journalist in the industry. It's my 11th, 11th year in the industry now. I'm used to asking the questions, so it was nice for somebody to put some questions to me for once. So, yeah, I, I really enjoyed that. And as I say, looking forward to diving into what we're going to be chatting about today. Yeah, good one. Oh, look, before we get into that, Let's talk about our weeks that were. Like, like we posted our last podcast earlier earlier this week, even though we recorded it a few days before that. Ajmal, what dramas have we got on the your garage this week? Well, it's it's confirmation of something that's been happening ever since I bought my nine nine six. Now, the history of my history with Porsche is not massive. Sure. I wasn't a Porsche guy until I had that argument with a friend of mine who's been going on about, I need to get a 911, and he has the money, and I went, they're so easy to buy. Just go and buy one. So uh, to prove a point, I went out the next day and bought one, the cheapest one in the country. And that's that's where my Porsche journey I love started. the research. Is this, is this how <laughs> you went about buying your car, Lee? Absolutely. <laughs> well, not, not <laughs> no, and, and I have to say, Ashmael, titanium titanium <laughs> cojones my friends because uh yeah to just go out on a whim and buy the cheapest 911 in the country you just absolutely must like hate having any money in your bank <laughs> <laughs> and just want to get rid of it straight away basically yeah you nutter no, but 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 the thing is when it happened and and everyone said exactly the same thing to me you know you're insane what are you doing and the thing that kept it you know I, it was to me it was noise and every time in the noise in between, I'd hear noise, 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 IMS, noise, 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 IMS. And obviously I did none of that research. And But one of the things that came up as part of my ownership that I, I wasn't expecting, and that's this week has been, there's been a lot of that, is 
van drivers fucking hate you. Honestly, it's like wherever I go, there's a van driver up my bum, bibbing their horn at me, wanting to race, overtaking me, brake testing me, everything, not letting me out of a junction, pulling out in front of me, honestly, and the, and the gesticulating and everything, and it's consistent. And then, I don't know if you guys know, but recently I sold our everyday car, which was a Golf R, which my wife loved, but we agreed that we were going to sell it. So she's been using the 996. She hates it. And the first time she drove it, she drove it 25 miles to get to work. And she sent me a message saying, everybody thinks you're a tool if you're driving one of these things because they're swearing at me and they're slowing down and they're speeding up and they're overtaking me. And it's it's true. So, but my, my week has kind of been like that. Apart from, Lee, I don't know if you know that I bought a Boxster as well. Excellent. Great work. 986. 986, two litres, 2.7, 2,000. And I did it the same way. Bought it without seeing it, bid on it on eBay, got it delivered, and it, it's a horror show. Hey, wait, I just got to interrupt it's, this. For the, I know that the listeners can't see this. Lee's just sitting here shaking his head, smiling and shaking his head. <laughs> <by> his- <laughs> the, the first thing that comes to my mind, Ashmel, is buy in haste, repent at leisure. I, I figure or I fear you might be going through that with the boxer now. I am, I am, <laughs> and and I've gone, I've gone into a bit of a denial phase. And I, I'm, anyone who's listened, listened last week, they'll they'll have heard a bit a little bit about this. But basically, what happened was, I got it delivered, and it was just awful. It had like stuff growing in it, and the one of the wheels was just rattling around like it was about to fall off. The oil separator needed doing. There was coolant just squirting out when you fired it up. I got a couple of things fixed, went for a few drives in it, spun it through a hedge, that kind of stuff. And uh, then I just parked it in the corner of the driveway and just covered it up and left it. And I had a look at it last week and it's it's all fuzzy and green inside because it's had so a bit what, of a water leak. What, what you've done there is you you haven't bought a box there, you've bought a sizable headache. <laughs> well, yeah, and it's been christened the box turd. Box so, turd. <laughs> <laughs> Who gave it that name, Ashmar? Uh, Jack did, my friend Jack, yeah, okay. uh, Flat6 Jack on Instagram. He's my poor specialist, my friend. And uh, and he just looked at it and he went, what have you done? And then I went, no, just check it over. Have a look at it. I got delivered straight to him. And he spent a week, a couple of days checking it over. And he went, yeah, it's as bad as I thought it was. <laughs> no wonder it's your mate. He's probably texting you, like, links to all these dodgy cars saying, buy this, buy this, buy this. <laughs> I don't reckon he's making any money out of Ashmal. He's been fantastic and he got it, he got it going for me. And the first time I drove it, I, you know, I got stopped by the police. So that wasn't, that wasn't great. But, but my week has been kind of looking at mold and being, you know, kind of heckled by van drivers. So that, that's been me this week. Well, I'll give you a quick update. I got an amazing text while sitting in a planning meeting, a Zoom planning meeting, or actually it was a Teams planning meeting, same sort of thing, right? Um, and actually I've got my phone here. I'm going to read it out to you guys. So, cause I know this is the sort of thing that gives us all a little bit of a, this could be me. Right. Um, you know, just give me a sec. Sorry. Should have been better organized. It's not from a Nigerian prince, is it? Uh, listen, you, you could believe that. <laughs> this is how the text arrives from an unknown, Look, the phone number's there, but I don't know the, the number. So it's not in my directory. Yeah. Hi, do you trade collectible cars? That's it, right? My response, who is this? I'm in a meeting. I can text. Otherwise, I can return your call this afternoon. 
Hi, my name is, I'm not going to say it, I have a few to sell. I did try to call. He did. I said, sounds interesting. What do you have? And he says, all sorts, mate, given to me from my father. He's struggling financially. I do help him out, though. He's got quite a few cars that were sitting in the shed that I feel could be valuable, as I know he spent a lot buying them approximately 30 years ago. Okay. I called him. And this guy is as Oz as. Now, that's an Australian saying to say you are, you know, as full as Australian as you could possibly be. This guy could very well have been rounding sheep as we spoke, right? <laughs> like this guy could have been a, a genuine Mick Dundee. Okay. <laughs> and and he, I said, well, tell me about the cars. He says, oh, look, I don't know about cars, mate. I know about greyhounds. Oh, yeah, okay. But we're talking about cars, so do you have any idea? He says, look, what I do know is there's some cars there from Europe and there's some Holdens and some Fords. And I said, yeah, tell me about the European ones. He goes, look, mate, there's about 20 or 30 cars. You're going to have to come down and have a look at them. I said, have you actually sent this message to anyone else? And he goes, no, no. I said, look, I might be a bit out of my depth. I contacted a previous podcast guest from the other podcast I um, do with Simon, which is all about, which is very classic car focused. And um, he and I are going to head down there on Sunday to have a look in the shed. Now, he did say there was at least one Lamborghini and a couple of Ferraris. Oh, now, now I appreciate what? this is a Porsche podcast, but this is the sort of thing that, you know, these could be, this could be the whole, uh, a whole Haggerty story here. Oh, Hang on, I thought, you were going to finish, I thought you were going to finish that with, I went out there and I bought them, and guess what? Oh, yeah, I, I, yeah there was a 550 spider in there that no one knew existed. Yeah, no, no, that's not the story, exactly. Ashmel. This is, oh, this is the start of the story. I'm teasing you for what we're going to talk about next week as well, yeah, okay? Give us more, give us more. I hope you're going down there with a sack of cash. If you're the only one he's contacted, just say, there we go, look, whoever's in there. We're doing the deal today before anyone else gets their mucky paws on them. There has been, Look, there has been some funds transferred in preparation of the best. Yeah. Okay, okay. Look, I've got to tell you, I've got to tell you the rest of the story though, and how this got me excited, especially. Like, sure, that's exciting into itself, right? But there's a rumor that for about three months in the mid seventies, there was a Lamborghini Mura getting driven around in Western Australia, and it got it was owned by a farmer who lived in the southwest of WA. It was seen for a couple of months. And never seen again. I'm hoping this car is in that garage. With the farmer still in it. Listen, I'll take no, it. No. <laughs> 100% either way. Yeah, you oh, would, wouldn't you? You know, so we'll see what happens. That's like that's uh, mortgage your house material if you provide a barn find Mura, isn't it? That's it great. Is. I mean, ev- everybody wants to find the barn find, and you, you think, oh, there's there's no more kind of barns left on planet Earth that could possibly store classic cars. They've all been unearthed. Yeah, that's right. Where, how eternity. are these things still appearing? But, like, this phone call, that was proof that there are barns out there that have still got shit in them. Anyway, look, yeah. it probably isn't that. It's probably a few rusted old heaps in a paddock, right, because I'm sure anyone that deals in this, because I'm excited about it because I never have, Anyone that deals in this probably gets 15 of these phone calls for the one good car they actually ever get to buy. Yeah. yeah you cool. never know. Because I always think about barn finds. Because in, in the UK, obviously, there's the weather. 
you know, you can't leave anything outside. If you leave anything outside, it'll rust away. But in barns and garages and things like that, there's not that many. And I don't, uh, Lee, you must know that, you know, Johnny Smith does the late break show. He does the barn finds series. Yeah. And he's just, he's just done one where he's found uh, a Porsche 912 from 1965. And is there anything left of it? Not a lot. Because, but it was only put into this guy's garden in uh, in about two thousand four five. He drove it in. That's he bought it and he, and he drove it in. That's seventeen years then, ago, though. Yeah, but it had it was so much greenery growing on top of it that Johnny had to go in and cut it all back so he could actually see the car, and then he could get into it. And those kind of things over here, yes, you know, it's few and far between. But when they do happen, cars are normally just beyond economic repair but if you go to the u.s i don't know what it's like in australia but if you go to the u.s you know someone fills up a barn with stuff they probably live out you know in the sticks somewhere lots, lots of land they fill that barn and they go actually i don't want to get rid of any of that stuff i'll just build another barn next to it and they just you know accumulate more and more stuff so there'll always be barns to pick through you know these american pickers they'll do all that stuff and there's always barn finds but is it is that kind of stuff happening in Look, australia in, in australia our weather's more sympathetic for the cars lasting longer right that's a, yep. a fair assumption. Don't get me wrong. We've got Australia's a big country. We've got some terribly miserable cold places as well, right? But the number two Porsche ever exported out of Europe, one and two, first two cars ever came to Australia, to Melbourne, right? Number two was found in a creek bed in Tasmania only about 12 years ago on a farm property. Wow. Right, the farmer didn't know. He bought the farm, it was in there. Someone found it, saw the VIN number, didn't have many digits on it, traced it. Ooh, yeah, this is an important one. Someone went down to Hobart, bought it, it's since been fully restored, and it's probably worth one zillion dollars for, you know, it's a cabriolet as well. So, you know, an early, I think it's a 1950 off memory cabriolet. So, yeah, so. Oh, yeah, speedster that, type thing. That's No. They, they didn't come out till what, 54, I think. Mm. The, the first species were 54, so this is way before then. Uh, the, wow. You know. I think there's, um, you know, there's a romance to a barn find, but the reality is pain in the backside. You know, cars that have sat around, you see, you know, every week goes by at auctions, there's a car that's, you know, done zero mileage and is, you know, 10 years old or uh, longer. And you just think, well, you know, okay, well, there's, there's petrol been sitting in that for 10 years. You're, you're not just going to get in that and drive the thing, are you? And what then, about you know, the water-filled like brake lines? Every, <laughs> the, well, my point is with like the, the barn finds just generally is you don't, you don't just find it and go, oh, brilliant. And again, there's a romance to it when the job is done, but beforehand it's a, it's a headache because a bit to in get the middle. car back on the road, it, mm. I mean, it's extortionate sums of money, extortionate sums of money. Um, and, and funny, Ajmo, where you were saying about the, the, the 912, I have a friend that um, he used to have an Irish green 912, funnily enough, bought it from the States. It was advertised as a dry state car, et cetera, et cetera. Um, no rust as a result of the climate <laughs> it, it was in. Bought it back. Um, yeah, has noticed something a little bit funny, kind of kidney bowls and whatnot. Car was stripped right back. Basically, the seals were had been rebuilt with banana boxes. But the whole car was rusted through, and it's just like, well, so kind of there we go. So we, even you know, kind of yeah, you know, dry state, barn find, and everything. You'd always find something. Always, hundred yeah, percent. Yeah, that's it. That's exactly what I've, I've been told by a couple of people. Because when you when the car's advertised, it says it's in you know, a dry state because it's in 
the state that's dry it doesn't mean it's lived there yeah it's probably yeah. been god knows where it's been in hot cold salted roads whatever it's same as over here in the uk and then ends up in a barn and go over here and you go oh crap i could have just bought one from down the road but, but even like you know carrera gt the carrera gt sat around for 10 years done zero mileage that will cost tens of thousands of pounds to get that that would be the worst here. car you could buy Oh, without a doubt. And, and that's, yep. you know, that's, as I say, there's at face value, there's a real romance to barn finds. But the reality, I don't know, would I, would I like to kind of buy one or, yeah, you know, come across one? Well, I think we'd all like to come across one. But, mm. you know, it, it, for me, I'd just rather buy a car that's just been well used, well looked after, because I like to drive my cars. It's perhaps different if you look at it as a, as a piece of art and whatnot. But, yeah, I don't know. There's, there's, there's more than meets the eye with those. I think. Yeah, I, I look, the, the points you've brought up are 100% correctly. Like, for me, <clears throat> A great barn find would be a 993 C2 manual, you know, in a nice, unique colour or something, and you go, oh, yeah, that's unreal. But if I actually found a car like that, for all the points you just brought up, if the thing's got, say, I don't know, 30,000 kilometres on it, and that's it, and it's, and it's been in the shed for 30 years or whatever, right, there's some hard, there's some hard dollars getting spent to make that thing on get that thing on oh, there again. It'd be horrifying, without a doubt. You know, like, without a doubt. That's going to cost you here in Australia, fifty grand, right? Yeah. Without him flinching, and that's assuming the engine turns, right? You know, so yeah. Look, I don't know. It's it's a challenge, but look, regardless, you know, like I said, there could be nothing there, but it's pretty. It was pretty exciting. Uh, Few, a couple of uh, hours there on knowing, and I'll, I'll, I'll let you all know on Sunday. But what what uh, it, what comes of it? It is it is interesting. I bet that changed the course of your uh, business meeting you were in as well to get a text like that. <laughs> I'd have finished that early doors and just. Got oh out. no! <laughs> I t- I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what was a challenge about. It was a six-hour planning meeting, right? And this happened in about forty-five minutes into that meeting. So I'm just. <laughs> Come on, I've got to get out of here. Come on. How much longer is this going to take? <laughs> you didn't just get up and go, I need to take this. Oh, no, no, look, in all fairness, we did have a couple of breaks out. One of the breaks, that's when I made the phone call. You know, to, anyway, so that was, that's what's happened there. And three, five, six, what have I done this week with it? Uh, I actually haven't done anything with the three, five, six since we last spoke, Ajmal. Um, no. So, no, the, the look, at the moment, Touch wood, everything's um, turn the key, thing starts, drive the car, park it. Next time you turn the key, it starts. When you've got an old car, that's, you know, take the small wins. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a, that is a win, yeah. Well, you, you know, your 912 would be the same, wouldn't it? Um, same mentality I'm talking about. Yeah, absolutely. You turn the key and, like, you know, about 15 turns of the engine and it fires up. Or it's a uh, moment of hope as you're turning the key. Oh, no, I'll fix that yeah. problem. I put an electric fuel pump in it with a, you know, with a hold on switch. So I, I, I fill the carbs before I do it after having it off for a fortnight or something or a, a week. And, it's, and that, since I've done that, just bang every time. See, mine's got an electric fuel pump, electronic ignition, but there's something not right with it because every time I go to start it up, it takes about five minutes. For well, that can only be, that's either, because it's only fuel or sparks causing your problem. Yeah, exactly. So the spark I know is good. So it's probably fuel, but mm-hmm. when you know, I sold my. I know we're talking Porsche. But I sold my 1968 MGB recently. Yeah, and that had been in storage for two years on a trickle charger. Barn find, and, barn find. I hope you sold yeah, it as a barn, barn find. Yeah, barn <laughs> find. Yeah. So uh, that for two years, not touched it. And every time I went, I, every few weeks, I'd go and collect my 912, and I'd see it in the, in the back corner. 
And I thought I'd have it 23 years. And I felt like, you know, I'd just abandoned this old friend and I made the decision I was going to sell it. So I went down there to pick it up and take it to, um, you know, the market lead Bonham, by Bonhams up in okay. Abingdon. So yeah. I was going to take it there. And I went to pick it up and I set the key in, it fired up instantly and just started purring after two years of being sat there. Same fuel, everything. And it just... Wowzers. That's, drew, that's very un-MG. I know, drove it 15 miles there. The sun was out that day. It was in November or no, October, late October. The sun was out at the top down and I was thinking, oh my God, am I making a mistake? This is probably the most sorted car I own. <laughs> hey, next time you drove that car, that's when the problems would have started. Probably, probably, but it's it's gone. It's long gone. So I, I, I do like having a car, like you say, this just turn the key. It's a classic. It's a car that you would go and take a drive in and go, I'm just going for a blast down the country lanes. Uh, and I kind of feel like that about my 996, but I still have that feeling in the back of my mind. Is something going to go wrong? Because <laughs> you wait for the revs to settle and everything and the lights to all go out and then you go, phew, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, I rev it to within an inch of its life. So um, that's, what, that's, what it, that's what it's for. Absolutely. That's Lee, last for. time we spoke about a year ago, we spoke about a podcast you had called Road to Redline. Mm-hmm. Tell us. Why did it, why and how and what was, tell us, why, how did, why did it become Nine Works Radio? So the idea really when we set out to do Road to Redline was to amalgamate it into the plans I had, which was obviously Nine Works. Couldn't talk about it at the time, as, as you can understand. And, and, and yeah, bring it together. And to be honest with you, listeners may or may not know that alongside the podcasts, we or I had my YouTube channel as well, which at the time was called That 9-11 Guy. And, and the, the, the idea really was to just kind of keep those all with their own names and, and whatnot because they become established. But then I found that actually in kind of creating Nine Works, the website, which is this kind of hub for Porsche knowledge and it's kind of this community platform, it made sense actually from um, just like an SEO point of view more than anything, just to tie everything in together. So Nine Works Radio, or the podcast became Nine Works Radio. That 911 guy on YouTube became Nine Works TV. And it just, like I say, ties everything up quite nicely then. Yeah, nice one. And so the Nine Works platform, is that like a, is that been some time in the planning? Is it, you know, is it a, um, Tell, tell me, what was the driver motivation for this outcome? Is this like future-proofing other, the rest of you, what else you do? I think so, Mark. Yeah, I mean, look, as I said at the top of the podcast, I've been in the Porsche industry now for 11 years, editing Total 911 magazine. And I love magazines. I, I was brought up with magazines in my life. My dad worked print, uh, in the industry printing magazines for years. So I, I really, I'm a huge fan of that medium, but the medium is incredibly challenged these days. So it's kind of like, okay, well, look, media still plays a very important role in, in our everyday lives, but yes, like including in our, um, in our industry, in our Porsche community. So is there a new way to connect with people and to bring people together to immerse themselves in their hobby in a different way that still kind of brings the um, qualified opinion and the independence and the general quality that a magazine would give. So that's kind of the thesis behind Nine Works, which is a community, really. It's it's nineworks.co.uk if any listeners would like to go and have a look and check it out. Um, but 
yes, in in answer to the other part of your question, yes, it was in the offing for a while, um, but it was a case of launching at the right time and kind of it wasn't the right time for you know I don't know do we tie it in with whatever's Porsche doing it wasn't it wasn't anything like that it was just is it the right time for me and my family and that side of things yeah sure great and look it's amazing it's like a look for people who haven't seen it it's sort of like a a good place to hang out you know, like you know, there's, there's always oh, something to look at, read, or you know, do on your website. So I think, I think you've done a great job there, as a especially as a Porsche enthusiast. Because I think, I mean, looking at it, because it feels like it's a portal into a Porsche world and community. Because if you look through it, there's so much there. It's not just a website. It's not just um, uh, a forum. It's not just a car sales thing. It's not just a car parts thing, uh, which which is great. And and the thing that because I'm, I'm a magazine guy. I love magazines. I love car mags. You know, when you walk through a, um, a news agent in the UK and I see a car mag cover that I like, I'll buy it and I'll go and sit in a coffee shop and read it. And I've, I've often wondered what's the future hold? Because, you know, during lockdown, things like modern classics and those magazines disappeared. And they were my regular, you know, where, where you'd read about a 80, it was 90s, Renault 5 GT Turbo, or you'd read about, you know, the new Vantage is, uh, sorry, a 2006 Vantage is 20 grand, you know, what's it like? That kind of mm-hmm. stuff. I, I love I love reading that kind of thing. Kind of mostly because that's the kind of stuff I do when I buy the cars. But then the because, you know, social media, uh, the internet, it's and YouTube, it's totally immersive. And that shorter attention span and the way you can consume it in chunks People forget that that's what magazines are for. You know, magazines you could consume in chunks by article by article. And they're challenged because people don't sit there without looking at their phone, without looking at the internet, without doing something else where they can just turn their brain off about everything else and read. And I, I love doing that. I love being able to. But sometimes, you know, when, when it's a big article. So am I allowed to mention Evo Lee? Of course you can. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I bought that the other day because I was reading about Evo Car of the Year. And I quickly flicked through to look for the list of cars, who, you know, what order they ended up in. And then I started to read the article. There was a shorter summary of each car, then there was a longer by each journalist. You know, there's uh, Jethro, there were a few other people, uh, Jethro Bovington, he was doing one of the cars. And, um, and there were really long articles. And it took me a few days of just popping down to my local village, sitting down for a coffee and reading each part of it. And for me, it felt like watching a multi-part YouTube series. <laughs> and and I, and, I, and that's how I feel about. It. I feel I, I would be devastated if the printed word disappeared because the printed word is kind of it's curated, and it's beautifully photographed, and it's and it's quality. Whereas you know anyone you know an idiot like me could go on YouTube <laughs> put something out or or you know on social media or anything like that. And th- this is a thing that says well actually it's based on fact because of these things, and I can then quote it. And, yeah, and that's it, what I love about it. Definitely. You, you, you both make you know, bang on points there. And, and as I say, I could talk about magazines all day. I'm extremely passionate about them. Um, I, I think, yes, you know, the, the three of us, for example, we could go out and make a website tomorrow on something, you know, I don't know, deck chairs. Let's do deckchairs.com. Yeah. And, you know, we just talk, you know, about a, a load of rubbish. We, we're completely unqualified, et cetera, but we could put something out there. With a magazine, as you say, it's curated. It's well thought through. Um, it's proofed. 
it comes with a lot more credibility, mainly from the fact that the costs are higher. You know, you, you have to really know yep. your stuff to dive into those in the first place. Um, the market for magazines is incredibly challenged these days. And that's a sad thing because I actually think the magazine uh, platform or medium is possibly more important than ever before. And the reason is the internet. Now, we used to, from, from its inception, we used to think of the internet as the ideal way of escaping reality. But now we use reality to escape the internet. We're all connected 24-7, et cetera, et cetera. It's ridiculous. Um, a magazine is an escape from all of that. It's time for just you to sit down, relax, stop from your busy schedule, and just deep dive into a subject, whatever it may be, whether it's cars or deck chairs, <laughs> whatever, <laughs> whatever, whatever it is, um, and just, yeah, immerse yourself in it and just take time away, time to stop. And that really is, like I say, in this, in this life, this contemporary world that we live in, that is so, so, so important. So, yeah, as, as I say, the merits of a magazine are more important, I would argue, than ever before. And actually, despite the fact that a lot of them are kind of challenged in terms of budgets and, and that side of things, I think some of the journalism coming out of them, particularly with the lack of budget in mind, is better than ever before, you know? It's think, easy to make a magazine, particularly when you're throwing money at it, but to make a really good magazine, that's the the trick. There's an art to that. As a, um, I would have to say the point that you've just brought up, Lee, the magazine itself is, as a consumer of magazines, it's the best it's ever been. The variety and options on the rack aren't as great, but the quality of what is there is so much superior to what it used to be. The product that's getting created today isn't as disposable as it used to be. You know, magazines Great. are printed on high-quality stock. The stories are less um, time-relevant and they're more emotional and passionate because the internet has taken over that instant gratification of information. You know, what is the latest, what is the greatest? People aren't going on magazines for that. They're going to the magazines for the, the escape, the, the same reason people went back to went, uh, write, read novels. You know, it's, it's the same, you know, feeling as a consumer of these magazines. Even like the stock that they use to print on magazines these days is unbelievable compared to only 10 years ago. You know, it is. It is generally that there are some that are, yeah, uh, how do we say it, fiscally challenged. And, you know, you might get a magazine that's as thick as a takeaway menu. It's printed on toilet paper. Yeah, Unfortunately, yeah. there you know, there are some around. But as you say, in the other way, there are some people that have really kind of sought to invest in that. There's, uh, I think, particularly in recent years, we've seen the rise, particularly in the uh, niche industries and, and niche kind of uh, subjects like Porsche, these monthly titles appear. So for Porsche, Triple Zero, uh, Road Rat, et cetera, Magneto magazine, I would argue that nobody really and truly has found a proper, um, made a proper business out of it where the numbers completely add up, which is fine. They're, they're trailblazing and they're finding their way, but nobody has created a surefire formula to go, yep, that is the future of print production, of print magazines. People are still figuring that out. But I, I hope somebody truly nails that as a concept, as an art, because it, as I say, there's so much more that goes into that medium and that platform than the digital stuff we create. You know, I mean, you know, YouTube, we could just press record now, chat bollocks, upload it to YouTube, absolutely fine. Whether it's a magazine article, the writer's been commissioned to do his piece. He goes away, does his diligence, does say it's a road test, does all of that, sends it to the editor who 
you know, checks it, then set that goes to a sub editor where that's um, proofed for factual accuracy as, as um, well as syntax and all the rest of it. And then all the pictures are kind of lovingly put together and whatnot. And then it goes out. Um, th- I mean, that's just like a very kind of top level, but like there's so many people check that. So as you say, it's vetted, it's curated, it's proper stuff. So the idea is everything you read in a magazine is accurate. It's factually accurate. Whereas the internet, mm, you know, who yeah. knows? A- anyone could do anything. And, and also you're dead right, Mark, where you talk about um, like the emotion we can all remember from some point in our lives a, a magazine article that blew us away. All of us can. But, you know, if I was to say to you, oh, <clears throat> excuse me, if I was to say to you, you know, oh, what's the most memorable Instagram post you've ever seen? Silence. Nothing. Who cares? <laughs> it's throw, it's throw away content. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. it, the concept of a magazine, it may be kind of forgotten among the masses, but I would argue it's without a doubt more important than ever before. I think what Mark said earlier is kind of explains it quite succinctly. It's the internet is almost like the movies, the Netflix, all of that stuff. And the, the, the magazines are the novels. It's the one that you want to get consumed by and shut everything, like you said earlier, shut everything off. And so I recently, a couple of months ago, did uh, a shoot with Classic Car magazine. And it was one of those dream drives thing. And I got yeah. to drive a 1973 911E target. Okay, awesome. 2.4. Uh, yep, MFI, brilliant car. And yeah. I got to I got to drive that. And but the, the process had to be there quite early. And then obviously there was a photographer, there was a journalist, there was the owner of the car, and then you're, you're not just there driving, chatting to somebody, and then they go away and write it and create something. No, they're telling you to drive somewhere. There's a photographer hanging out in the car on a dual carriageway that you have to go up and down 10 times. Then he has to um, go and look at it in the car, in the dark, on his camera, and go, no, I need to do that again. So you do it again. Oh, no, the sun's in the wrong place. Oh, there's a car in the background. And it was a whole day, and it wasn't a big feature. It wasn't like a car of the year feature where they probably took a week to do it because there were yeah. five people or seven people driving seven different cars. They were in Wales. They did it over probably a period of a week. And each, each write-up for each car is probably, you know, like a, a, like a mini feature in itself. Yeah. Uh, so you couldn't get the idea of, and, and then, you know, the amount of questions that I got afterwards, you know, the editor was asking this, the sub-editor was asking this, oh, you said this here, did you mean this? It went on and on and on. And, you know, and I was saying, well, dude, I was expecting this article to be out. It's like a month or six weeks ago. And he's going, yeah, it'll be out soon. It'll be out soon. So I have no idea when it's coming out. But it, it shows you that it's not one of those things that it's not like the internet. It's not like Instagram. It's not like YouTube. It's not like a website. It's something, it's the real, it's something done in the real world that, that that's then written up. Yes, definitely. And, you know, uh, the, 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 sorry, mate, go on. You know, and, it, and it's, you know, and, and the pictures that back it up are, you know, they're beautiful and they're perfectly created and composed in a way that are tell a, tell a story, unlike someone using their camera. And, and you know, we've got like a, a famous photographer joining us in a couple of weeks and we're going to talk to him about that. It's, you know, everyone thinks that a photographer who's got a phone with a good camera on it and everyone who gets in a fast car thinks they're a racing driver. And, <laughs> you know, but but you've got people like you who are, who, you know, work for a magazine and you think, well, no, that's not the same. This is a completely different thing. There's people like me and Mark who consume it, 
and go, yeah, that is a different thing because someone who knows what they're doing, it's been through X amount of rounds of quality control and I'm now looking at the result of it, not just someone bashes something out and go, oh, there you go. It's funny when you say something like that. So, you know, occasionally I'll get somebody email for Total Nine Leather magazine because um, I'm, I'm still overseeing that title, albeit in a role of editor at large now to allow me to focus on nine works day to day. But um, yeah, you know, every now and then somebody will email me some pictures and say, I'm a photographer, you know, or check out my Instagram page. And, um, you know, my kind of usual retort will be, you know, but do you have any like magazine spec pictures? Because uh, for a start, as they're printed on paper rather than just like glaring at you on a screen but also you know say you do a group shoot where you can do a, a lovely um shot of a collection of cars that comes out on the um dimensions of an instagram feed but actually for a magazine totally different concept so total 911 like many magazines uh, we're perfect bound so you either have staples or they're you know perfect bound with glue but what that means is uh, you have a gutter so when you if you imagine a, a, a landscape picture a vertical line down the middle of the screen, maybe an inch, uh, an inch wide, probably one and a half inches, actually. That's a gutter. That's no man's land, because when all the pages are glued together for a perfect bow magazine, it's lost. So you have to position on a group shoot, for example. So you've got, you know, five cars. You don't put two either side and one in the middle. You put three on one side, two on the other, because if not, all that lovely detail gets lost in the gutter. Um, and, a, and a photographer who specializes in that field will understand that and will take that into account. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's, it's horses for courses. Because to me, it's it's sort of the photos that you see in magazines that are done by these professional photographers. I always look at them and I always think they've got depth. Depth is the word that springs to mind. Because anything taken with a phone, it looks flat. To me, it, it doesn't spring anything into me. Whereas with that, it, it gives me depth. But one of the questions that I had, and I, I wrote it before we came on for you, Lee, is so if a young person comes to you and says, I want to be an automotive journalist for a magazine, what would be your advice to them? I think the same. It doesn't matter whether they want to be an automotive journalist or, or absolutely any other profession. You need to get out there, get stuck in um, and be prepared to do some voluntary work. You know, like the the usual retort that I hear among young people today. Um, and even, you know, when I was growing up, people leave uni and you, you'd email an editor and say, can I have a job? And they say, well, what experience have you got? Well, I haven't got any, but I've got a degree. And they say, well, go and get some experience. And people think, well, how can I get experience if I haven't got a job? And my kind of point is, well, just because you don't have a job doesn't mean you can't get out there, get stuck in, get meeting people, get writing, get filming if you want to be a video journalist or whatever it is. Prove that you've got not just the talent, but also the grit. That's the two key factors that, that are so, so important to any job, automotive journalist or not. Um, so with automotive journalism, and again, we spoke about how easy it is to set up a website or an Instagram feed, whatever it is. It's, you know, the, the wonders of technology. It's, it's fairly, um, fairly cheap and easy to do these days. Just make your own blog get stuck in you make your own own website put your stuff up and away you go and you understand how things work you know if you're a photographer you understand to yeah shoot a car or oh, okay so a car to car tracking shot that's quite difficult how do i nail that how do i do it that's that's the key that's absolutely the key get stuck in excellent excellent advice i'm gonna um, before i go down a hole talking about 996s by the way because <laughs> we've been talking for ages and I'm not, I really want to talk to you about 996s. Yeah, Mark, sure. was there something that you wanted to talk about first? With regards to the, um, you mentioned that the fiscal viability of 
magazines, knowing what you know, and you'd be looking at it a lot differently to the way a consumer like Ajmal and myself do. If triple zero is not making money, I don't know who can because I don't know anyone that charges more than they do for their magazines. Uh, yeah, and, and what I will say is, you know, I, I'm not privy to anything that of course. any other title goes. But, but you, you know, know you like know what say. you know from your experience. Like when it comes to the, um, you know, maintaining a, you know, magazine owners, like we had um, this magazine here, a new magazine in Australia called uh, Benzino. I think, did I send you a copy, Ajmal? Yes, they do have yeah, that. So yeah, so made by a guy who's got a lot of classic car contacts and stuff like that. He's doing a cracker job. But it's him in his house. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't have an office and because, you know, the magazine doesn't make enough money to, you know, fund all those sorts of things. So it's a, it's a passion project for him, right? And he's trying to get it to the point where it will generate an income through. And he's got some good advertising sponsors and things like that for the magazine. But the reality of the situation is, He's not going to take over the world, you know, with with this product. Or look, I actually don't, don't even know. Like as as a passion project, you probably don't even want to get to the point where it's actually gets uh, purchased by another larger company to take it over. If it's if it is actually being created as a passion project, you know. So I'm always curious why why would you start a magazine in this day and age, you know. The, the, uh, yeah, you, you, you're, you're dead right. You know, and the problem you've got with magazines is right from day dot, you've got costs. So for you to leave your house, you know, to go in and drive a car, you know, you've got to um, fuel the car. If it's another writer, you've got to pay them for fuel to get there. Then the day rate, same for a photographer. Then you need an art editor to put everything together. Then you need to buy the paper. Then you need to print on the paper. Then you need to distribute the magazine. Um, high, high costs before anybody has even picked up the thing to begin with. And that's the difficulty. Um, and what I would say about, you know, just go back to, uh, I think I said monthlies earlier on, I actually meant the quarterlies, uh, you know, with, with these other magazines that have come up, you know, yeah, okay, individually, they may have cracked the code in, in their business case. And again, I'm not privy to that. But if there was um, an off trudden path you know if there was a there was a certain formula that worked everybody would be doing it but the reality is there isn't in the same way traditional magazines everybody knows what to do on that you know you end up on the newsstand in wh smiths or whatever and you wait for the audience to come in and buy the title yep, that's yep. that's that's the off-trodden line but with these quarterly journals as they're called now rather than magazines you know if if the concept had been completely you know the code had been cracked there there would be a lot more of them out there than we see currently and, and without you know naming names a lot of them have changed their business case and how they operate from day one which again you have to that's that's the nature of starting any kind of new enterprise you have to kind of figure things out for sure um but so yeah it's, it's an interesting time and i'm personally really kind of keen to see where where that goes uh from somebody that, that edits a magazine so yep, yep. um for, for now t911 is, is a monthly title um, or total 911 to give it its full name and it works quite well because it's so niche you know um that it's got a very fierce loyal following and and that's great but just to take things back to that original question mark like where where nine works works is to offer something a little bit different uh perhaps it's a little bit more compatible with the modern age um and people's busy lifestyles if they so choose to consume media that way sure. yep. but offering it with the same kind of um where things are lovingly curated in the same way a magazine is, you know, and it's that quality journalism 
and also independence as well. I know all I write about is Porsche, but the reality is I'm not Porsche. I'm not paid by Porsche to write about them. So there's that independence and where my expertise has built up over the last decade or so, I feel qualified enough to kind of say, you know, what I think or who's good, who's great, uh, you know, in terms of assessments of cars and all the rest of it, I feel like there's, there's, there's a platform for that, for the modern enthusiast. Tell me, um, anyone who is listening to this podcast who knows who you are is fairly aware of that car that's over your right shoulder, which is your green 996, right? Yeah. Doing the job you do, why did you buy the 996 as that car? Is it because that was like the entry point into 911 financially at that moment in time? Is that Was that the the singular focus to that particular chosen 911 series 100 percent, mark yeah so i had um the the 996 the the irish green car i've got is my third 911 they've all been 996s and again that comes from the price point i did have a c4s which i sold um in order to buy the house i'm in that, that my wife and i bought and to get on the property ladder um and then yeah so for a while i was driving around with a, a smart brabus as needs must and then yeah look so the opportunity came to buy a car um which was 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 that 996 i think the story is kind of well told now it was wrapped it was in a fairly bad state before um, on, wait wait i've got to interrupt you don't think you can breeze over the two words smart brabus and just go up keep talking about a 911 <laughs> the fact that you had to drive a smart Brabus, I think this needs some investigation. Let's talk about did, this I car did for a second. My eyebrow with that. <laughs> you know, I have to say, I love that car. Mine, it was a, a smart 4.2 uh, Brabus. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant little thing. Uh, we lived like right in town at the time. I could park it anywhere. And genuinely, I didn't really kind of have too much of a care about it in the same way I would a Porsche. I mean, that car, I used to just leave, you know, the engine would be switched on. If I'd pop round to friends, I'd, you know, drop something off as an example. And, and I remember this as a, as a distinct memory. Went to pop a Christmas card through, I'll say four years ago, three years ago, through the door of a friend. So I hopped out, car was still running in the road. And he said, oh, do you want to come in for a cuppa? I said, yeah, no problem at all. And he looked at the car in the road, still running. He said, do you want to turn it off? I went, nah, it'd be all right. <laughs> someone, if someone <laughs> takes it, they can have it. It's, you, know, you, don't, you don't care where it's with a Porsche. You, you know, you go to the supermarket, you think, oh, I better park over the other side. I don't want anyone dinging the door and whatnot. So it was great. It, you know, you could fit a lot more in those cars than you than you think. You can leave it anywhere. You can park it anywhere. Okay. Absolutely fine. I've got to tell you my guilty pleasure on this car. Go on. In 2000, it might have been, it's either 01 or 02. I was in uh, Italy, first time I'd ever seen smart cars at all, right? (laughs) And we're in a little, uh, with some, a group of guys, we had a boys trip and it was at the end of it and me and another guy, we wanted to go to France to um, ride our bikes up Alpe d'Huez, okay? And um, and at the time we're in a little place called Treviso, it's about 35 kilometres north of uh, Venice, okay? Mm -hmm. So we had to drive right across Italy, across the top, then just into the Alps, through Briançon to, um, you know, the base of Alpe d'Huez there. And um, I go to a car hire place and the only car they've got is a smart 4-2. <laughs> so we've got the two of us and two bicycles, road bicycles, broken down into a smart 4-2. Great, yes. And drove it across Italy. And on the way back, coming along the autostrada, paying the tolls, the boom comes down on the glass roof and broke it. Oh, no. 
probably probably chopped it in half. <laughs> no, it was just well, it was just one of those adventures, you know. And I couldn't believe how much room was in this little smart car because I'd never seen one they, before, you know. They, but. Yeah, I mean, yeah, if where, where where you are, they're completely superfluous. But like in uh, yeah, in cities, I mean, I, I get it. New York Police Department, they, they they zip around the city in a couple of them. Like they're, they're brilliant for that. And again, built up areas like mm-hmm. Bournemouth on the south coast, brilliant for it. But yeah, for like yeah, cross country driving anything. Yeah, it was. Yeah, oh god, it was funny. Anyway, back to your nine nine six. Yep. Well, yeah. So that's it. So that that went, and then when when the time was right, I could I could get into this nine nine six. And like with me, I like to um, tinker with cars. Not necessarily. I'm not not the most hands on guy by any stretch of the imagination. Um, a checkbook mechanic is how I kind of refer to myself, but, um, yeah, look, so I, you know, I thought, okay, well, look, yeah, I could, I could get a 996. I could do some bits to it on the job. 996s were just starting to kind of go somewhere at the time. And yeah, obviously there was a little bit of luck in there involved as well. Not that that value is particularly important these days, but it certainly helps. Um, and, and that's, yeah, that's, that's kind of it. I mean, if I was jumping in now, like particularly for like, you know, where the the car I think is worth, you know, there, there's choice out there you can look at 997.1 and and whatnot but at the time it was the right car and the right fit at the right time essentially see that that i I didn't obviously put that much thought into when i bought mine (laughs) but what you said about the smart car and you know take it anywhere leave it anywhere use it for everything and i use my 996 like that so last night i was at b&q what's that some stuff uh, it's a basically um, like a, what, it's a DIY store. Oh, yep. Okay. Sure. Yep. Um, what's the one in Oz? Beginning with Bunnings. 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 That's it. Um, it's like that. It's a massive store. Sure. And yep. I went down there. I had to go down the motorway, uh, bought a load of stuff, came back to the car. And you know, when you go, I'm not sure it's going to fit. And luckily mine's got a sunroof. So lots of stuff sticking out of sunroof. And then you're on the motorway doing 70 miles an hour and you realise that it's all going to break because everything's bending, everything. Then you're holding onto it with like, you know, both hands at one point. It's wedged on your leg. And you're thinking, oh my God, it's going to fly out the top. But I do that. I use it for that kind of thing. And when lockdown happened, the first lockdown, um, the car got left for about two months. I parked out so across the road from where I lived in a lay-by. And it was there because our everyday car was in the driveway. And when I finally came around to go and try and get it going, I couldn't find the key. And most listeners will have heard this story. And you saying about leaving the car running out. Um, I thought, you know what? I'm never going to find the key. I don't know where the spare key is. I know I've got a spare one. Um, And then my wife went out for a walk with her friends and came back and she went, the key's in the ignition. Hmm. So the key had been in the ignition for two months. <laughs> it's parked on the road, <laughs> and nobody took it. <laughs> and nobody took it because when you leave the key in first, you know, at least you know the dash stays lit up. So obviously the battery was completely dead, um, and it's it's like that. I will just use it for anything and everything, and I'll take it anywhere. And it's like it gets left out on the street. It's been taken a hammering recently because it's it's our only family car. So my children are clambering over the seats with muddy feet and all sorts. And you're stood there going, oh, and then, you know, Christmas trees and all sorts. And I'm constantly picking out pine needles off my clothes. But I love I love it for that. I love it for that. And I don't I, want a car that's going to be in the garage. I don't care about the value. I love it for the joy it gives me. 
I think that is absolutely brilliant. And I've definitely been there with, with that. And, and to be honest, again, through the years, different press cars we've had. Um, I mean, I've, I've moved house when we moved from, well, flats. I moved from one flat to another when my wife first moved down, down to here on the South Coast. And we moved house in a 991.1 C4S. And we've got this fantastic picture of like the ironing board coming out and like going through like the sunroof and whatnot. You do what you need to do. We got married over in Ireland and, and we went over with a, a 991 Turbo S cab. And again, it's amazing how much you can fit in a cab when you really need yep. to, you know, when you're going when you're going to get married for a week in another country. So yeah, and they are the, the practical everyday super sports car. That's the kind of the whole mantra of the 911. But having said that, so do they, summer, do they lose their specialness by doing that with them? They do, uh, and I, I never appreciated that until yeah, six months ago. Bought an 09 Cayenne uh, Type Nine Five Seven as the daily hack, and it's so it's everything the Nine Nine Six isn't. Hasn't okay? bankrupted so Cayenne, you? Uh, well, it's, it's trying its hardest. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, look, it, it's just it's easy to drive. It's comfortable. It's a really good build quality. It's four wheel drive. It's Tiptronic. It's roomy, spacious, etc. And for, again, and this is the brilliance of Porsche. They offer even just in the realms of say just nine eleven. There's a car for everybody and their lifestyle. Yeah. And and the Cayenne just works for us, where we can get everything inside that we need. There's plenty of room for the dog, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then when it comes to driving the nine nine six, and I'm a lot more choosy about when I drive it now. And actually, I drove it yesterday, a three hour drive to a Porsche specialist first time I've driven it in 2022 and I loved it you know and it's only a 996 it's you know it's not worth the center lock wheel on a 997 GT2 RS <laughs> as an example but when I get in that car after not driving it for three weeks you know you go oh this is nice and even better it's mine and I'm, you know you must have that and that's that's what you kind of you don't have when you jump in it daily not to that degree you know I don't, I don't know, because for me, I still just go out for a drive in it. I will still, if I've got like half an hour, I think, oh, should I go and get, grab a coffee? No, I'm just going to jump in the car and get down a country lane right now. Because you come out of my driveway and you're straight onto a country lane yeah. and it's just floor it. And then there's a little, you know, I do a bit windy roads and then I come onto main B road and I can just floor it. And I, every time I go out in it, I have to redline it in second. And that's the road that I do it on. And, and, you know, it's it's one of those things. It's still an occasion for me. And it's still the noise, the smell. the. And I always say that, that part of that is a slight feeling of terror. Because <laughs> it's a terror of... And, and it was worse the other day when I went out and it's still a little bit icy and I floored it on a straight road. And you know where you get the dreaded flashing of the traction control? It's, trying, it's you know, really trying to keep grip and my tyres aren't great. And I, I love that. But I love the fact that it I do just jump in it and just go anywhere. And sometimes I do, you know, the where I live, uh, Porsche UK is not far from me. Okay, yeah. Uh, and you, you obviously you've been there loads. So there's a petrol station not far from there. And if you go into that petrol station, there's always a 911 driver in there and a new 911. And you know where you get the sideways glances, oh, what the hell's that guy doing with the bird shit all over his car? <laughs> and it's that, you know, it's just that I I absolutely don't mind it. I want it to be mechanically right, but I want it. I don't want to be precious about it. I don't care about the mileage. I did 400 miles the other day. Uh, I don't care about that, but I love the fact that I can just jump in it, go anywhere. And you know, if it got dinged, I'd be, I'd be upset, but it wouldn't be one of those things where I'm thinking, Oh my God, how many, how many thousands has that knocked off its value? I paid six and a half thousand pounds for mine. 
And I saw your video, Lee, where you were talking about the costs last year yeah. of your of your 9-11. And I was thinking, that's how much mine costs. <laughs> Did you have a big year on repairs last year, Lee? I, I was particularly unlucky last year. Yes, I think 2021 in regards to my car, it just kept trying to uh, shit on me from the greatest heights is what it felt like. So I'm hoping for something of a reprieve this year. Uh, there's some, so, some yes. things you did by choice though, didn't you? Some things you did by choice, didn't you? To future-proof yourself? Yeah, I mean, I'm a big fan of doing that side of stuff. You know, I like to be proactive rather than reactive. That was the thing that I was saying on on the, the Nine Works TV videos. And I just find that in the long run, it is more kind of fiscally prudent, if you like. If you just, you know, you're, you're scrimping on bits, then you get a big bill that comes along that whacks you in the face. Whereas if, if you do a few things beforehand, you know, while you're there, it's so much easier on labor. And I mean, you know, particularly we all kind of praise the 911s layout and whatnot, but the reality is it from a, a mechanical uh, side of things, it doesn't particularly work, you know, these, these, and especially 996, you know, it's a fairly big engine shoehorned into a really small space that isn't amazingly well cooled. Um, you know, every, everything is hot and cold, all these heat cycles, you know, yep. for God knows how many years. I mean, that's why every, you know, no bolt comes off. Every, everything just shears off. Welded on. Know, the rust. Yes. But, and again, you know, in the, you add the UK climate and it's rusted and whatnot. It's an absolute bloody nightmare. So my kind of mantra is, yeah, look, if you're in there doing certain jobs, you know, let's just get a couple of other bits done just to help you out down the line. It's- Last year, yeah, things just kind of kept going on it. So I'm hoping this year, it'll be a bit kinder on the old financial. Well, one of the things that I always think is the dreaded words that any 911 driver doesn't want to hear is, mate, that's an engine out job. <laughs> and then and then you know, oh God, what other things should I get done? Oh, you might as well do the power steering pipes. You might as well do the cooling pipes. You might as well do the clutch. You might as well do the IMS. You might as well do the RMS. And then suddenly you go, oh my God, I'm doing 50 things that I didn't know needed doing because the engine's out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thing is though, like again, you know, everybody thinks, oh, you know, engine out is, is kind of scary. But I mean, like it's... It's not the worst thing in the world, you know, like it, you, you, can, you can get an engine out, uh, you know, a flat six engine out of the back of a Porsche kind of fairly efficiently, you know. Um, and, and then again, while you're in there, what, while it's out, yeah, definitely get the bits done because and especially with, you know, 996, when you go to sell that car, the first person that's going to tip up on your doorstep is going to be asking you, did you do X, Y, Z? And, it, you know, if you've got the confidence to turn around and go, yep, yes, I have. Well, there's no argument. You know, where to go, you know. I'll be more than confidently saying, no, I did not have that done. (laughs) Any question, assume I haven't done it. (laughs) Yeah, well, that and that's the thing, like, you know, and where where 996 is, and I think this is this is where like the market's really interesting with 996s. We all know it's changed over the past couple of years, but I think there's a different buyer for 996s, generally speaking now, than what they used to be, whereby they just want to get into the brand. They want that 911 legend, and the 996 was the vehicle, quite literally, that facilitates that. They might just be able to afford to get in it, not necessarily be able to run it, because you can pick a Porsche up for Skoda money, but a Porsche is still a Porsche to run. You can't get around that. Whereas these, you know, so that they might, you know, scrimp or skip a few maintenance issues or services because can't afford it. And the value of the car didn't merit the the, the maintenance or repair work. Whereas now where the the value's gone up, they're almost kind of worth investing in in that sense. You you know, you get the money back down the line. And actually you're seeing the kind of the the breadth of values in 996s. You can pick up a super cheap, even say Carrera, you can pick up a super cheap Carrera 
But actually, if you want a really, really good one, a top, top, top condition one that's been really well looked after, you pay quite a lot of money for it now. So, you know, and again, I've got no interest in selling my Irish green car anytime soon. But, you know, the day I do and somebody kind of tips up and says, is X, Y, Z done? I can stand there with confidence and say, look, it wants for nothing. And the first thing, they're not going to chip you on the price. The price is the price. And if you can't afford it, that's yeah. down to you, you know, and it's having yep. that kind of confidence from from my side of things. And I think that's why, yes, last year was painful from that side of things. But in the long run, fingers crossed, should get it back. <laughs> well, I, I agree with that, because one of the things that I, I've talked about before is, you know, when people talk about I want a 996 and, and a lot of the advice for a long time was buy the best one. Yeah, or the best one you can afford. Best and a lot of people afford. go, yeah, and people start going, well, actually, I'm looking at, you know, 15, 16, 17,000 pounds. And if you think about two and a half years ago, you were kind of creeping into 997 territory. But what I said to people is, remember, you're not going from 996 to 997. You're going from the best 996 to the worst 997. Uh, exactly. That's what that. you're, yeah, that's the leap that you're taking. So you can yeah. say, well, actually, I'm going to stay in the best 911 that I can afford, or I'm going to go into one of the worst ones that I can afford. And yeah. it's a massive difference in how you use that car then and, and, and the satisfaction you get from it. Ultimately, it's about satisfaction. And, you know, we could talk later about um, one of the things that people talk about is buying an, a brand new 911. You know, we, people talk about the GT3, how every year when you think, how can this be bettered? How can a GT3, this is from somebody who's never been a, a GT3 or driven one and everyone raves about it. And then the next one comes out and they go, hang on, somehow they've bettered it. But it's not, you know, Mark and I talked about this last time where if, if Porsche wanted to make a car with a thousand brake horsepower, of course they could make it, but they don't. They're selling you the experience. They're selling yeah. you the brand, then sub-brand of 911, and then the experience. And as long as they can enhance the experience at each step, then they're doing exactly the right thing. And people are buying, people keep on buying those Porsches because of that experience. We're buying 996s because of that experience. You know, I could sell that and go and buy a 997. Why would I? I wouldn't get any more satisfaction from it. And it's enough performance and everything for me in, in, in how I use that car. But, um, Definitely. And, and that's where it comes back to uh, my earlier kind of mantra that there is a car out there for everybody. And, yep. you know, yeah, there, where there's a real crossover now between values of 996 and 997.1. Fantastic. So for those that go, well, I don't like the 996 fried egg headlights. Okay, brilliant. We'll go and get a 997 then. Whereas the 996, uh, by kind of contrast, there's a bit more of a I suppose, outlaw feel to those cars because they were sort of the ugly duckling that's slowly yep. being allowed back into the stable. But they're very different. They're totally unlike any other 911 stylistically. And I think that in itself has kind of garnered this yeah, outlaw bandit culture around it that, that perhaps, you know, you don't get with a 993 or a 997 either side it, generationally speaking. So that kind of caters to that. And I think, yeah, that's half the appeal of the 996 is it's a 911, but it's a bit different. Yeah, it's unloved and it's and it's the underdog. And the thing about it is a lot of it's unwarranted because, I mean, let's face it, it's the only 911 that was redesigned from the ground up. And Agreed. when people talk about, you know, a friend of mine bought his GC4 last year, brand new one, and, and he went, you know, it's Evo car of the year. And I, and I went, my car's the first Evo car of the year. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I went, and do you know what? It, and, and my friend... You know, he might have, he's got other Porsches as well. 
But one of the things that I said was that article said, and I think who was it? It wasn't Jethro Bovington or somebody like that did the article. But it said that this car is better than the 993 in every single way. And, and then it, for it to become so unloved, a lot of it was to do with the Boxster having the same front and stuff like that, and you know, which, which was good for production for Porsche because they could produce, mass produce all of these parts that went on to flagship models. But for it then to fall under such hard times, I, I mean, I don't particularly care because it meant that I could get one. I wouldn't have been able to afford uh, another one. 100%. And it's nothing to do with the fact that I own the car. It's, I just quite like winding people up, but I could stand here... <laughs> all day and tell you about why the 996 is better than the 993 because factually it is it's it's faster yep. it's quicker um, it's lighter it's more economical it's safer etc 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 993 yep. owners might not like to hear it um and and it, they might prefer a 993 that's absolutely fine but factually the 996 has a lot going for it regards to uh, and also what i will say and this is nobody can deny if it wasn't for the 996 saving the company, we, you know, we wouldn't have these fantastic cars like a Carrera GT rolling around planet Earth today. Yep. It's a fact. We, we, people have a lot to thank the 996 for, begrudgingly or otherwise. But in terms of values, I like the fact that they have been so accessible for so long because I like mm-hmm. the idea Porsche, I say, is an inclusive brand or product, not an exclusive. And the 996, as I say, was uh, and remains the gateway for a lot of people to get their key into the 911 legend and it's so important yep. and whilst you know it's yeah okay it's nice if an asset you own goes up in value of course it is but i do hope the 996 uh, the 996 stays reasonably attainable for the everyman i think that's really important for 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 us but for porsche as a brand that that's Absolutely. got that's that's left that that boat sailed here in australia but the the concept of a an affordable 911, and look, the concept of, the concept of affordable, you could talk about that all day, right? But yeah, you know, like I've probably really see the last year or so been quite conscious of getting into a 911, and you know, two years ago, cars I didn't think were worth thirty five to forty thousand dollars Australian. You know, our cars are dearer here, right? So, but that aside. They're now 70, 80, and I didn't think they were worth 30, 40, you know, a couple of years ago. And I'm talking exactly the same cars that are changing hands. Yeah. Yeah, and and the thing you bring up about the outlawry type attitude towards a car, that's quite evident because there are, there's no other model that's had more dodgy aftermarket body kits fitted to it when you look at them when they're for sale than the uh, 996s. You know, they're pretty <laughs> <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. You know, so you, you see, oh, there's some shockers out there, right? But yeah, whatever floats your boat. You know, but it, it is interesting. It was an interesting point you brought up. But, yeah, the the accessibility of the car, sadly, it's just – I think it's just too far. It's too far gone now. You know, the average new car price, sale price in Australia, I think is around $46,000 now. Right, to give you some wow. reference points. And you don't see many 996s that haven't had the IMS done and are tired and have all the things that go wrong with them that go wrong with 996s that are due to be done now for less than $80,000 anymore. Wow. So, what's the, so, so, Mark, in Australia, what's the kind of going rate for a, a new family hatchback in Australia? Forty. Uh, Thousand? Wowzers. Right. Oh, well, wow. We don't okay. have family hatchbacks, Ashmal. 
Families don't You've fit in the hatchback. I hate to break You've it got to trucks. you. Right? Yeah, we do. We, have, look, we, we do. We have dual cab utes. utes. There's a lot of them, right? You know, by that I mean Ford Ranger, Toyota Hilux. Yep. Yeah. Toyota Hilux is the number one selling car in Australia. It has been for, I think, the last four or five years, right? So yep. that is the type of vehicle that is by far and away dominates our roads. You know, that, you know, there's every brand, all the key brands sell them. There's the V-Dub, Amarok, Nissan, Navara, Ford Ranger, et cetera, et cetera, Toyota Hilux. You know, every brand has them. Um, and those there, they've sort of in the last, with the supply chain issues and the demand of product that stressed it, they were typically fifty to $55,000 trucks. They're now seventy to eighty thousand dollars trucks as well. Hmm. And the other, the other, the other market that's quite strong here, Ajmal, is the not the family, what you call a family hatch, but the size below it. Say, Polo, Hyundai XL, those sorts mm-hmm. of things. You know what I mean? Or, oh, sorry, XL, I twenty. You know that's the yep. that, that's probably the next biggest selling sector. Corolla and Golf. Like, to give you an idea, Corollas and Golfs are the same price here. I don't know if they are in the UK or not, but the um, but Corolla, because it's a Toyota, is a pretty dominant product in the Australian market as well. Because so yeah, the Golf's quite premium here and very, very popular. And in terms of that as a new car, then the cost of a 911 relatively, I know they're not the same car, but if somebody's buying one, I just need a car to get to work. And I can't justify the cost of having a 911, a 996 in the garage, but even though I really want a 911, you can say, well, actually, a 911 is probably cheaper and the money that you save, you put aside for that first you know, service bill. Sure. And a bill for X amount of years. But, there, but there's that thing, like Lee said, it's about getting into the market. And, you know, when you when you see things from like Magnus Walker and people like that and say, this is the next big thing, on, and he, and he asks questions like, is the 924 a better handling car than the 911? Stuff like that. He can ask that because he's had a journey. We talked about this before, Mark. Yeah. He's had a journey. He's, sure. he's driven every Porsche going, Porsche going. He's driven every performance car going. He's probably driven quite a few supercars. And then he's come back. He starts driving much older cars again. He's driving his Rolls Royce, whatever he's got. He's driving his E-Type and things like that. But then he can make that um, quite a quite cold and objective comparison, whereas someone on a journey who might have bought a box who might have bought a 924, if they haven't reached 911, which is the pinnacle of Porsche ownership, and then you can evolve to something else. It might be back to a Boxster. It might be to a 924. It might be to a 944, 968, 928, whatever. Then that you can make that decision. But if you haven't hit that peak and to be able to say, I've got a 911. So a friend of mine who wanted a Boxster, and he said to me, I don't want one anymore. And I'm like, why not? And he went, because you've got a 911. Even though you'll never say it, you'll always be in a 911 and I'll be in the poorer relation. So, yeah, there's, there's different ways. But um, before we finish, I do need to talk to Lee about EVs, but I'll let you. Uh... <laughs> I just want to ask Lee, across the 11 years, of all the Porsche vehicles you've driven, you know, I imagine it's, you know, more than a handful, right? The, um, <laughs> Slightly. Which one has affected you the most to say, that was the car that really blew my socks off. Which, which singular car? 
It's a really easy answer to that. And it's 959. Yeah, okay. Without any shadow of a doubt. Yeah. And I think the car, and funnily enough, there's, if you don't mind a, a quick plug, the next video I'll be putting up on Lineworks TV is, is 959 versus 992. Because even though there's 35 years between the 959 and the 992 Carrera 4S that we used, they have an awful lot in common, not just 450 horsepower, twin turbocharged flat six engine and active four wheel drive. The tech that's on the everyday 911 now, which the, the, you know, the Carrera range is, it started on that 959. And what's astounding about that, you know, this tech has transcended 35 years of Porsche engineering and production. What's perhaps most mind-blowing about all of that is that the 959 at the time nearly ruined the company. Yep. And there were people very high up at Porsche, the CEO, for example, Peter Schutz, you know, the, the, the spiraling costs and, uh, and whatnot of the 959, it could be argued ended up costing him his job. So this was a car that took Porsche to the very brink, but they persevered because they knew it was the right thing to do. So many breakthrough technologies on this one car. Sure. And as, as I say, it's acted as a blueprint for that company, as an engineering company making cars for the next three and a half decades. But that aside, Absolutely what about it tickled your fancy? I think, and again, so the, the, you compare the five nine to the nine uh, to the F forty, sure. you know, as 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 the poster car of the eighties yep. and whatnot. Mm-hmm. They 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 were the two heavyweights. Very different cars, though. I just bet every they, metric. Yeah, and 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 that's what that's I think where the nine five nine comes into its own. So the F forty is so brilliantly compromised, whereas the nine five nine, as I say, fully laden with all that tech and the absolute pinnacle of performance of the time. And yet what blows my mind about that car even today is it's so easy to drive. It's so, I would say driving and it's easier to drive a 959 than it is my 996 Carrera for, for, for anybody. And just the way and the, and the accessibility of its performance is so unbelievable. And yet it's, it's easy to drive around town. It's comfortable. It's lavish and whatnot. And as I say, I think, you know, a 959, unless you're really taking the mickey, because of course there is no traction control um, and anyone can jump in that and, and, and drive it, Re- you know, get, as long as they're not reckless, you know. Yep. Well, I'm, so, I'm glad that you brought, you brought that up because the 959, because when we talked earlier about magazines and the article that stood out, to me, it was the article that compared the 959 and the F40. And I remember thinking that, hang on, you've got analog F40 and you've got digital 959. And they are, they, they, like Mark said, yeah, you know, they were banged because those two companies were vying for, you know, who's going who's gonna to make the fastest road car? Because it was like a mile in it, you know, mile per hour in it or something like that. Yeah, and yeah. Porsche has always had a history of testing design and technology on their customers which is which is why when you're buying a car and you're buying a classic porsche you get you often get that one year only and and people go oh it's super rare one year only was because it was a shit idea and it stopped after a year yes that the, yeah the yeah. 1972 oil oil clapper is is without a doubt a case in point exactly so when when the 959 came along and it was so engineered to the nth degree, it kind of, I guess, to the bean counters did demonstrate that exact thing that you said. It's like, if we engineer it to the nth degree, we will not be in business anymore. 
Um, but it was so, you know, it was such a headline grabbing car. You know, Boris Becker's driving it as a teenager and stuff like that. And everybody's talking about it. And you, you remember the Athena posters with the F40 and the 959 and all of that. It, it was fantastic. And, and you're right, the, the design, the, the engineering, the way that it stood up and, and what it did was groundbreaking and it was so over-engineered, which is why none of the other big uh, manufacturers, you know, Mercedes or BMW or whoever, they couldn't come along and do all of that in a car because they couldn't, they couldn't do it economically. But the engineering has now become accessible to, you know, Hyundai, whoever it might be, and it's now on every car, but you, and it's, it's very ubiquitous. But back then, it was, it was groundbreaking, and, and people almost forget how groundbreaking it was. Definitely. And, and I think, well, I hope that's what the vi- the video will do justice to kind of put across. And, you know, it, it definitely it has lots of modern tech. It is a classic car, but not to the point where it feels really agricultural to drive. Mm. And uh, again, may, maybe for my own experience, it's kind of having that the historical kind of context in the background as to how important that car is to the company might add to my uh, feelings for the 959. But actually, again, even driving it, there's so much emotion to it. And okay, yeah, it's twin turbocharged, but it's sequential. So it's a totally different kettle of fish to a modern, mm. you know, VTG 911 uh, turbo, for example. Um, the first turbo kicks in, you get a shunt up the road, you get to four and a half grand, and you get an almighty whack from behind as the nose of the 959 rise up and you're propelled off to the horizon to this, you know, cacophony of sound. So much raw emotion to it, you know, and and yeah, so that's that's the very long answer to the short question, Mark. Anyway, the, 959. I, I have seen I have seen the one. I think is it the silver one that you you drove? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I, I saw it at Boxing Gas last Boxing Gas last year. Excellent. Yeah, Brilliant. and, and uh, we've 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 said on on Nine Works Radio, but Paul, the owner, has been on a couple of times, and he's brilliant because he drives the cars, and that's so important. You know, these yep. cars are out there; they exist. There's 292 959s in the world. Uh, not sure, but that was the that was the build number. I don't know how many are left. Hopefully, most <laughs> of them. Um, but you know, it's important that these cars are seen by enthusiasts um, and and kids. You know, tomorrow's enthusiasts ultimately, and, and their story mm. is told. And and Paul's very much an advocate of. That. That, which is fantastic for for the likes of us and, and everybody else listening to the podcast now. Tell yeah, I'd me, say um, about Paul. I, I met Paul at Boxing Gas, and and to anybody who sees him at any shows, go and talk to him. He's very happy to tell you about the car, what it is like to own, what it's like to drive, because he will drive it no matter what the weather. Two shows. Um, <laughs> sorry, Mark. That's all right. With the nine five nine, Lee. Yeah. Do uh, I remember reading? I've never seen one in real life. Okay, so I've not had that privilege of touchy-feely or anything like that. Have driven an F40 for a couple of times. But the um, – and I, for anyone that tells you that car does 200 miles per hour, it may very well, but I don't think there are many people that would be have the uh, cojones to push something like that to that speed because how horrifying it would have been. But that aside, did I read that the 959 has got like a off-road or a rock-crawling gear? Is there like – first gear or something like that it, it did yeah whether it was um th- there's an allegation that okay so let, let's go all the way back so it's it rather than it being a six-speed gearbox it's a five-speed gearbox plus another that isn't reverse and and yeah so instead of one because one's like a dog leg sure um there's a, a gear before that which is g which stands for galand or galanda which sure. is terrain mm-hmm. auf deutscher and um 
yeah, the idea is it's for, um, yes, moving off on on kind of, yeah, uneven ground, et cetera. Sure. When I drove the, the 959, I've driven a couple of them now. I'm very privileged to have done so. But um, I just use that G gear to move off even on tarmac on, on dry day. For me, it works perfectly. And, and there's an allegation that Porsche did that to basically get around emissions test back in the day because the emissions test was conducted in first gear ah. which essentially on the 9591 is essentially second gear second yeah i i, I can't kind of verify that or, sure. or, or whatnot or add think, any hey, don't, don't ruin a good rumor let's run with it well yeah, yeah funny enough <laughs> actually i've got there's a funny story about the 959 so i helped paul kind of repatriate that 959 from porsche classic in germany a couple of years ago which involved a run on the autobahn. Again, I did a video of it on YouTube. But um, the week after, I was chatting to Ben Dimpson, who he designed the 964, the exterior of the 964, and he was uh, heavily involved with the 959 project as well. So exchanging emails, I said... um, Oh, you, you know, you might be pleased to know that I, I drove a 959 the other day, a car that you helped design. And uh, I got to drive it on the autobahn, no less. And I got it up to 165 or whatever it was, mile an hour. And uh, I thought he'd be quite proud of me and, and all that, considering the value of the car. And he just emailed back and he says, well, it's a shame you didn't do, you didn't get it up to 200, which was his intended speed. So, yeah, he was basically not impressed in the slightest. That I just basically tickled the 959 rather than ringing it all the way yeah, out. Yeah, but, um, sure. Yeah, great. The way it goes. <laughs> use it. Use it for what it's intended. Yes, this is it. As with any Porsche. So, Ajmal wants to talk electric. Well, only only a little bit because Lee, I did listen to your kind of end of year Nine Works radio show. Okay, yeah. Where you where you, talk, where you guys all went through your car of the year, and I can't remember who it was that said the Taycan Turismo. Andy, yeah, my co-host. Andy, yeah. That. yeah, yeah. And uh, so, my, you know, everyone's had this sort of doom kind of uh, premonition for the future of um, combustion cars that it's all electric. We're going to get these cars going to get taken away from us and we'll never have them again. Now, we all know the production of them will stop, but I don't think they'll ever get taken away from us because there's still lots of unknowns about electric cars because, you know, about when those batteries come end of life, recycling of them on an industrial scale, we don't know what pollution that will cause. The production of them, what pollution does that cause? How will we use them and then consume them and uh, and then change them? But it's, it feels like in the last couple of years, sort of the we've had a breakthrough moment where something like a, a Taycan, where people people who would normally never consider driving an electric car have ended up talking about them, have ended up eulogising about them, talking about how brilliant they are. Now, in, in terms of driver, you know, the, the driver experience, the customer experience that Porsche gives you. Now, the differentiator in electric cars is a lot less, isn't it? It's because, you know, the electric car, the motors work in very similar way, but manufacturers can do things to change it up slightly. And when, you, when you're on a track, when you're going through the twisties, you know, combustion cars do it in a very different way based on how they're designed. Whereas with an electric car, it's still going to do it in a different way, but they've got this acceleration thing, you know, where they do it in two seconds or point whatever second, and it, and then it's got that. It's kind of a I used to think it was a one trick pony. Do you think we're kind of over that now, where it's going to be car enthusiasts are going to who are old old school V8s, V12s, V6s, love the noise, love the challenge of driving a real world drive, go work in the gears, are suddenly going to go actually this EV thing, it's pretty good. 
in a word, no. Um, combustion engine cars have so much more emotion by the fact there. And Andreas Preuninger, head of the, the GT department at Porsche, a famous quote from him that a car is 10,000 parts, 10,000 mechanical parts working together as one. That's why we love these things. That's exactly why we love these things. And, you know, say the Taycan, what Porsche has done really well with that car from a driving point of view is, you know, I don't know if, if you guys have driven one, but it feels like a it feels like a Porsche. So you you sit behind that, you know, you could blindfold somebody, stick, you know, an enthusiast, stick them behind the wheel of a Taycan. You'll know that they're they're at the wheel of a Porsche. Um the seating position is like super similar to like a 991-992. So, you know, it's on the floor. They've the 991 and 992 really perfected kind of seating position at Porsche. And the Taycan has followed that. Um, and the relationship to the driver and the steering wheel as well, but also like the, the front axle and, and the turning, it's very Porsche. It's very 911-like. So, you know, from an enthusiast point of view, you get a bit of a kick out of that, you know, lots of feel and whatnot. But the reality is an electric car, you know, it just doesn't it it doesn't give the same emotion that a combustion engine vehicle will. And, and I find it interesting that we're kind of all, yeah, just walking. It's like the blind leading the blind, really, with the, regards to um, this electric question. And, and we're all being told to go and buy electric cars, but we're being told this by politicians who cycle to work. And, and without getting kind of too political on it, my point of view is, well, there are other options. And I, and I really admire the fact that Porsche is trailblazing by experimenting with e-fuels because that could well be the answer. We're, we're hedging a lot of bets on electric, but we're not sure. And and again, you know, like here here in the UK, Mark, with the the coronavirus and, and pandemic and, and we used to have these daily briefings and standing alongside the prime minister were two qualified uh, specialists in the field of medicine sure and they had yeah they they were qualified to make the right decisions for the good of the country and i kind of think that um you know transport is is very important i'm not going to say it's as important but it's very important and I, and I feel like governments need specialists in their field to help make the right decision here instead of us all just saying oh okay yeah brilliant politicians have said we all need to buy electric so let's all go and do that i don't think it quite works from a practicality point of view but certainly from an enthusiast point of view the, the whole reason that we we drive these cars or, or we have any sort of hobby we enjoy it's the emotion the success of any brand is emotion and you can't, an electric car will never give you the same levels of emotion as a combustion engine vehicle. No way. So, so for me, it's, it's twofold because it's that what you've just said about the, about the emotion, the attachment, the satisfaction that you get where you go, I'm going to go out for a drive and that's all I'm doing. But there's also the thing about, you know, everyone's talking about climate, you know, how, how me driving a, a 911 uh, naturally aspirated 3.4 litre car is, is killing the planet. In terms of my impact on the planet, the best thing I can do while still driving a car is to continue driving that car. And, and people forget that because if yeah. I go and the, the cost, the climate cost of me buying a Polestar, for example, is the, the amount of damage to the, to the planet, I'll have done less damage the production and me driving that Porsche for over a hundred thousand miles, I'll have done less damage from the point that I pick up that Polestar. And Polestar did that research. It's not me saying that. And that's the thing that people need to think about is until we know more, everyone buying electric cars is probably going, we're going to find out in five, 10 years time. Oh my God, we've done the worst thing. Now we've got all these batteries that we don't know what to do with. 
It's, Agreed, it and that's it. It is. It is the great unknown, you know. And, and I think there there are other ways to slice the apple, if you like. But yeah, look, you know, I think cars of the future, as in combustion engine cars of the future, and our relationship with them as enthusiasts, I think it will be like owning a horse, not something you drive during the week. You know, let's say how you do for your nine nine six currently, Ajmal. But it will be, yeah, you know, your, your weekend indulgence essentially. Um, and I think there, there there will always be a place for them as yeah. a result. I would, have to, I would have to say, as an enthusiast, I've been fortunate enough to be uh, that Porsche cars over here have uh, given me a tie can for a weekend. So, you know, going back oh, probably 12 months ago now, 18 months ago. And good car, exorbitantly expensive, right? And um, But look, hats off to Porsche. Like they're pretty much, you know, if you go base spec versus base spec, same money as a 992 here, right? A Taycan is. So if you if if your budget to purchase is an issue, you know, you, you're at least looking at a level playing field. Nearly every other manufacturer gives you a financial penalty to get into an electric version of their car, their cars. But you know, they Porsche's decided not to. The what really opened my eyes to that Taycan very recently, only last week. I, for the first time, drove a McLaren 720S, okay? That car was like an electric car. The way it's, it does everything with, with, too perfectly, with the exception of the quality of fitment and stuff like that. But I'm talking about the dynamic experience. You know, suspension was amazing. Acceleration, everything was Instant, all that sort of thing. What, what you'd expect out of McLaren, you know, it's a lot of money. But it was Taycan is what it felt like to me. Sure, you sit lower on the road and things like that. But And what I didn't really think of McLaren cars like this. Now, McLaren cars are purchased by enthusiasts, which led me to wonder, is a McLaren purchaser going to be really the first sports EV consumer? I'm not saying McLaren's going to make these cars, but you know, as the as sports EVs start coming onto the market, because we don't really have any sports car EVs, focus EVs, you know, in the market right now. Everything's a sedan or a hatch or a um, SUV or it's a compromised car. We, we, no one like it's not like Ferraris brought out an electric car or Lamborghinis brought out an electric car as yet. So. We don't know what that car is going to be or when it does come out. But what was really noticeable about the Taycan for me is you can't hide the weight. You know, you mentioned it feels like a mm. Porsche The yeah. to drive. That weight is, you know, when you go around that corner, you know, you're, you're turning the Titanic on, but you're not turning a 911. You know, that was really – and, you know, modern 911s aren't light cars. You know, they are GT cars. They're not, you know, the, sport, the sports Agreed. cars they used to be by every metric. My, my personal take on it is outside of the 911, so the cars that Porsche has recently kind of made from scratch. So I include uh, Cayman, Panamera, Cayenne, even the Macan, really. It, it takes it takes the company a generation to really get right. So all we know at the moment is the Gen 1 of Taycan's. You know, let's see when the, and I'm not talking about like the, the inevitable facelift and all the rest of it. I mm. mean, like the, the, you know, the next, the next stage of those cars they'll only get better. And so it's a starting point and it's a really good starting point, you know, but again, that's where the company is kind of conflicted in, in my opinion, 
Porsche isn't a, uh, a manufacturer of cars. Porsche is an engineering company which makes cars. You know, in, in Visac, there are all sorts of projects going on there to do with all sorts of different industries, way, 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 way removed from automotive. So cars is kind of one string to the bow. Um, so engineering company making electric cars, hmm, difficult. And the reason, as we know, the reason the tachometer is, in, is the middle dial of the five in the 911 is because the company has always said it's not how fast you go, it's how you get there. So if you're kind of replacing the soul of a vehicle, which is that internal combustion engine and replacing it with a, a, you know electric motors that, as you say, is the same as any other car, there's there's a problem you know so yes i think for, for mclaren and whatnot it's easier for porsche the, the way forward is perhaps yeah it's a good point more mm-hmm. more more challenging you know but that's why I, I really love the fact that porsche is uh having the metal to investigate these e-fuels and it will keep you know their cars and ultimately our cars on the road for a very long time let's hope so luck. well very much so this has gone on for an hour and a half so far this is what happens when you get three people of love crapping on. Now, the- <laughs> <laughs> Lee, it's been a real great pleasure for you to come on and give us your time. It's Yeah, we really appreciate it. It's been a hoot and um, I've really enjoyed having a chat again. It's, you know, a very different conversation to the last one we had, which was um, a bit more our car focus, but this is, I'm quite, I've really enjoyed doing this, you know, and, um, you know. Let, it all got a bit serious at the end there. Let's, let's talk, um, yeah, it did. Let's talk, let's talk again in another 12 months and see where Nine Works is going and we'll see where Porsche Talk Podcast ends up and et cetera. It's been really good. I've, I've really enjoyed it. Absolutely, gents. Yeah, look, thanks for having me on. It's always great to, to talk cars and everything else that we've covered today. So thank you for that. And again, thank you for just giving Nine Works a bit of airtime. If uh, I hope you won't mind me saying, if anybody wants to take a look, it's nineworks.co.uk and, uh, and people can sign up for free. Yep, as they should. We'll, 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 we'll whack the link in when we publish. Yep, we will do. Okay, guys. Grand. I, I appreciate that. And yes, best of luck with the podcast, gents. Thanks very much for your time, thank buddy. Thank you. Great to talk to you. See ya.